Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where we explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Darren Harris, author, speaker, and founder of Unblind the Mind, about how you can navigate the invisible obstacles that block your path to success. Losing his sight after being diagnosed and treated for cancer of both eyes, aged 15 months, Darren discovered that the eyes are useless when the mind is blind, a phrase that has become his motto. Today, Darren is an international motivational speaker, peak performance coach, dual sport Paralympian, England's most capped blind footballer, judo black belt, psychology master, honorary doctor and best-selling author to name a few of his achievements. He has certainly discovered how to future-proof himself to win at work and life. Of course, this is the title of my latest book, and if you don't have a copy yet, get one. Welcome, Darren. Hi, Nikki. How are you doing? It's so great to have you on this podcast. You have a very, very busy schedule, and so we've waited quite a time to find a spot in your diary between your busyness and having a second baby during lockdown, if I recall. Um, so here we are at last, and I'm so excited to introduce you to the Win at Work and Life community. Thanks for having me. So Darren, I know that, you know, I've already said that you don't have the gift of sight. Um, you haven't always been blind. But how has blindness enabled or hindered you? And when did it start physically becoming an issue in your life? So I was born with normal vision, but when I was 15 months old, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I suppose at the time, you know, back in the 70s, we didn't know an awful lot about the condition. So, you know, we didn't know that children could get cancer and you didn't know you could get cancer of the eye. I got both. and. And as a result, they actually wanted to remove both my eyes. But um, my granddad begged <laughs> begged them to, to uh, keep one of my eyes. So for a while, at least, I was able to sit. And uh, so one eye was treated with radiotherapy, the other was, was, uh, re was removed. But as I got older, because of the radiotherapy, my sight got gradually worse. So I guess in those, those early days, you know, when I was in primary school, and as I was going through to, to secondary school, uh, and I, I began to sort of focus more on the on the negative aspects of of losing my sight and and dealing with with loss. And, you know, you talk about the, the pandemic and things that happened there. Lots of people have experienced loss, whether it's family and friends, whether it's their livelihoods, etc. So, you know, I went through that quite traumatic experience of of losing my sight. And in essence, I considered what it was that I wouldn't be able to do. I used to think about all the things I wouldn't be able to do. You know, you know, would I be able to have, you know, a relationship? Would I be able to drive a car? How would I get around? How would I do some of the most basic things that most people associate with their eyes? And so that that was how it really was for those first sort of 10 years or more. Wow. And that must have been so scary to gradually lose your sight. Um you know, I think I've just had a double eye up recently and my vision is taking a long, long time to settle. And it really has freaked out my brain and made me feel terribly 
unconfident. It feels like the rug has been pulled out from under me. And the only thing I can keep saying to myself to keep myself positive is, but you're not blind. <laughs> and you will see again soon, but not now. <laughs> and I'm hardly blind, Darren. I'm hardly blind. But, you know, when things are fuzzy, um, you know, it, it, it's a weird sensation. So how many years did that take? So I, I used to go to the, the doctors every single year and, uh, you know, there was always this hope that there'd be a miracle cure. And, you know, we've done we've done extraordinary things throughout the, the duration of mankind. And, and so you kind of have this expectation that they'll, they'll be able to sort of fix and solve every problem that we have. And so I used to go to the doctors and he would just say to me, you know, your sight's getting worse and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, and I suppose after a while, I just stopped going because, you know, if, if someone gives you bad news enough times, you, you tend to just switch off from that. Uh, and so I was just in denial. I just didn't really want to acknowledge that it was getting worse. You know, I I kind of go through that angry phase as well. I'd be angry if someone left something in my way or I bumped into someone or I dropped a catch when we were playing sports or missed the ball, whatever it was. There, it was just a reason for me to kind of get angry um and then when you eventually you just feel in a dark place literally metaphorically so i i would say you know really until uh, there were there were a couple of moments which i think raised me out of that gloom and, and the first was actually when i went to secondary school and i I'd, I'd never really been around blind people up until that point so i went to a, a grammar school um but it was specifically for you know, kids who were blind and I always remember this occasion when there was this, this guy riding a bike. You know, I was standing there talking to my friends and I could hear this hum of a bike in the distance. And when I looked around, it was someone I knew, but this guy was totally blind. And it was like, it blew my mind. I was like, how can, how can he ride the bike? And how can he ride this bike and be sort of weaving in and out of all these obstacles, you know, literally navigating invisible obstacles. And, 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 that was a, a moment of, of enlightenment for me because it made me realize that A, being blind could be pretty cool and that B, people could actually do things which you didn't realize you could do. So that was probably the first point at which I started to sort of see it from another perspective. Mm. In, in fact, what came to mind is you, you saw the light and I see that uh, you grew up in Wolverhampton and the motto of the city is out of darkness cometh light, which is just so serendipitous, really, because what you're talking about here in terms of that aha of knowing that a blind boy was riding a bike is that you do develop these extrasensory perceptions when one sense is taken away. And the brain is the most remarkable organ in that it can rewire itself around the obstacles. And I guess the work that you do is helping people to shift their mindsets, not necessarily their bodies around obstacles, but shifting their mindsets. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the brain, as you said, is, is very plastic and it, it reorganizes itself uh, and it is able to do some incredible things, you know, when given the opportunity. And I think a lot of the times, it's, sometimes you just need to have that inspiration you know you see someone do something that you didn't think was possible and all of a sudden you think actually it's not now I can't do it so well, how would you do that and I remember when now we know that technique that he was using is something called echolocation and there's a there's a brilliant guy 
on on YouTube, who's a friend of mine, actually, Daniel Kish, you know, who's nicknamed the Batman. And you can see him doing something similar, you know, riding a bike uh, completely blind. And I used to go and try and train this skill. So I remember I used to go and stand in these alleyways. Uh, and if you if you think about an alleyway, uh, you know, it's got these two hard walls either side of it and the sound will echo off, off both walls. And I used to try and stand there and work out if I could tell which direction the car was coming because the sound obviously echo off both walls. And I was trying to pick up which wall it echoed off first. And I was just trying to hone this skill. And it was just this, uh, this fascination, you know, could I, could I do this? And could I do that? And, and so I began to sort of, you know, gradually develop that skill. And I suppose it's in essence, what I've, what I've used in my sport, you know, as a footballer, those are the sorts of skills we're using in terms of spatial awareness and, just uh, that overload of information you get when you're playing football and you've got so many things to listen to in terms of, you know, the sighted goalkeeper, the coach, your teammates, the opposition players are talking. You've also got to listen to the ball. And this brain goes through this massive overload of information and, and you're able to just really quickly disseminate what's essential from that. It really is a remarkable, remarkable organ. I remember speaking in... A, a, a hall to a bunch of people when the lights went down. And this was quite a few years ago. And it was a massive space. And the lights went down. And I felt like I had no depth perception. And what you've just spoken about of being in the alleyway and having to uh, try and work out where the ball is, which direction, which wall did it bounce off first. I remember just thinking this is just the most bizarre experience. I feel like I'm talking to nothing because it's black and yet there is something out there. There are people out there. So Darren, you've, you've just done the most amazing, amazing work. I mean, let's, let's chat a little bit about your sporting career first and then we can get into the work that you actually do. You have represented England in two sporting disciplines, the one being judo and the one being football and you're England's most capped and most decorated blind footballer. So how many Paralympics have you been to? What's that been like? I mean, wow, talk about pushing the boundaries. You didn't just learn to play soccer blind, but you've really reached the pinnacle of your sport. Yeah, I mean, I suppose sport was that one thing that gave me something positive to channel all of that negative energy into. So... No, I, I guess I was I was probably born a born a footballer, if if anything, because you know my my dad's nickname was was Pele, and for those who don't know, Pele was a a, a Brazilian footballer back in the seventies who was phenomenal, and and so the fact that my dad was nicknamed after him says he probably had some ability. So I I say you know from the from the moment my mum felt you know me kicking in her womb, and I was I was destined to to play football. So I I loved playing. Um, every sport really at school and then when I went to secondary school I know I continued that and when you know when my coach kind of spotted me you know at a league match and said you know I'd love you to come along and train with you know with the England setup I you know I just grasped that opportunity with both hands and as soon as I turned up to camp I kind of I had my eye literally on a couple of players and thought yeah I'm coming for your place and that's that's <laughs> that's how it kind of began but yeah, absolutely. You know, sport was just that way of, you know, when I was going through that, all of those troubles of losing my, mm. being able to do sport just made me feel good. And, uh, and funny enough, when you just keep doing something over and over and over again, you, you tend to get better at it. So 
that's that's how it began. Uh, my my debut was pretty shocking. I didn't actually have a great debut. I, I I remember because I still had a little bit of sight at the time that it was just really disorientating when I went on the pitch. So I put my blindfold on. I remember stepping on the pitch and just just feeling completely lost. And and I was bumping into my teammates, the opposition players. I was bumping into the boards because we play five aside, and it's on an enclosed pitch. And my coach took me off after two minutes. And uh, so that was my debut. But what I learned, and I suppose what I've always been, is 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 really adaptable. And you know, I decided that what I needed to do is put that blindfold on an hour, sometimes two hours before the game, so that I was completely acclimatized to mm. my surroundings in the way that it takes your eyes a while to to become accustomed to the dark you know when, when you wake up in the night and you know over time it, it it improves and your brain sort of switches over you know your pupils dilate and your brain kind of switches into yes I'm in the dark now and and I had to do the same as a footballer when I still had that little bit of vision for my ears to click into right I'm gathering my information auditorily now not not visually and in in my brain needed to, that time to just switch over so yeah but I suppose the, the reason why I ended up doing judo was because, you know, of the politics we have here in the UK around uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and uh, in, in England. And, and what actually happens is that we play for England three years out of four, but in Paralympic and Olympic year, you know, we play as Great Britain. But as it happens, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland wouldn't sanction us to play as Great Britain. And so... I qualified for the 2004 Paralympic Games, but I wasn't allowed to go. So How no- disappointing. Wow, that must have been awful. Absolutely. And so by that time, I'd already been playing playing for eight years. And, you know, I was, I was captain of the team. And, and I was, you know, I was devastated for myself and for my teammates. And uh, I was really wondering, you know, what, what do I do? I mean, at that time, we were an amateur setup. So we didn't get paid to play football or anything like that. So... I, I had a full-time job and I worked in, you know, in, in the technology sector, actually. And I decided that if I was going to get to the Paralympic Games, then maybe I could do it with, with judo because I was a black belt in judo. And so I decided to, but I realized that I, I couldn't get to the games just sort of training twice a week or three times a week. And, uh, and this, this affects everyone in their business that you have to commit to something properly uh, and so I decided that I would just take that risk of, of quitting my job and throwing myself headfirst into this new adventure you know training twice a day six days a week and making sure I gave myself the best possible chance to qualify for those games and so I made it to to Beijing. Um, mm, mm. So I'm hearing you talking about adaptability, flexibility, you had to take the road less traveled and then, of course, commitment. Mm-hmm. You went all in. And then the only way to learn anything new and learn to do it well is a huge amount of practice and mm-hmm. repetition in order to connect the body with the brain. And it's really rewiring uh, the brain for for whatever it is that you're doing, whether it is some kind of work or whether it is sport and here you changed sports from from football to judo not that you hadn't been doing judo already Mm. but it probably took judo to the absolute next level for you yeah and there's a lot of overlap uh, between between all sports just in terms of just basic you know physiology you know you you have to be fit and 
uh, agile, you know, all of those types of things. But uh, so, but mentally, it's just uh, you buy into the ethic of, of hard work and you, and you recognize that with hard work that you can achieve almost anything. And so I always had that hard work ethic from, from quite an early age, from the moment my mum said to me, you know, you're black and you're blind and you're going to have to work twice as hard as, as anyone else to achieve something in life. And so from that moment onwards, I kind of knew that uh, it was something I had to do, whether I wanted to do it or not, because I, I think most people, if they could achieve with, with doing less, they probably would choose that option. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think human beings are inherently uh, lazy and will take the path of least resistance if they can. Mm. But it's the people who rise to the top who've gone the extra mile. Now, you talk about two types of blindness in your presentations when you're working with companies, associations, organizations. You talk about physical blindness and mental blindness. Mm. Can you unpack that a little for us? So I began to sort of think about sort of two aspects of, of, of blindness. So I, I, I was looking at, you know, what is it that being blind enables me to see or perceive? And, and, and what is it that sight stops people who can see from seeing? And, and, and so I, I begin to sort of consider those, those two questions. Uh, and, and what I began to, to realize was that, um, that size is, is quite a limited thing you know there, there we, we we so there's that this phrase isn't there that seeing is believing uh, mm. and so most people kind of only believe their sight they don't trust their other senses and they they kind of take everything you know, their sight allows them to be I suppose duped to a certain degree whether it's through for advertising or billboards or whatever there's there's so much visual information that we take on and because we are visually dominant as 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 a, as a as a race that sometimes we don't really look beyond what's on the cover and and there's been so many sort of exercises experiments done where people have not been able to differentiate between red and white wine when they've been blindfolded they've not been able to differentiate between you know, an expensive aftershave and a, and a very cheap one when blindfolded. They've not been able to distinguish between their expensive cashmere coats and, you know, some, some much cheaper material when blindfolded. And for me, that's quite fascinating, really, because when, when people know that the only information that you're going to take in and the only thing that you're going to believe is the visual aspect of it, then that, that really does change how we think. And, I, and I've also noticed it from a sort of communication aspect where a lot of people will work on the visual aspects of communication. We're taught about our, our body language, how we use our gesture, how, you know, we're told to look at the person we're speaking to, all of these other aspects, you know, and we'll go and wear a nice shiny suit and make sure we're wearing a nice dress so that we, so we look good. And hopefully that covers up for the lack of content <laughs> potentially within, within what we've got to say um, and so that that was what I just began to kind of observe and you mentioned also um earlier because we were talking about sort of uh, how we wear masks as well so that was one of the other things I, I became really interested in was um so one of, one of the issues I had because of the radiotherapy that I had was that it it severely damaged my eye and how my eye looks 
Uh, and I had this real dilemma in my life as to whether I should wear, you know, sunglasses, you know, because that that's something we associate with people who are blind. You know, they either wear sunglasses, they have a cane or they have a dog. <laughs> and uh, and I used to think about this, 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 these sunglasses. For whose benefit was I wearing them? Was I was I wearing them to to, to protect others from seeing kind of imperfection? Uh, or was I protecting myself from, you know, being sort of uh, teased and about how my eye looked? Uh, and one of the things I always notice that when I walk past people, even now, is that, you know, when they see me with a cane or when they when they see me, that we're, we're, we're really uncomfortable about having those conversations. It's much easier for a parent with a child when they see something that's different uh, to kind of almost put their hand over their mouth and oh, don't say that. i'm sure you get a lot of that Mm. you know human beings are wired to see and notice difference Mm. and i think it's part of our survival instinct and it's only with emotional intelligence that we can actually override that and by having more conversations that matter you know and it's like when we listen it's it's a skill we do so badly because we're generally listening to respond not listening to hear And we really need to be listening with our whole beings to Mm. somebody else, not just our ears. So, you know, yours is a case in point. You know, it's it's just absolutely you're learning to listen to your entire universe with every single sense and those we don't even know about. Um, But I know that there was an instance with your, I think it was a young, was it a young niece or a cousin um, that really gave you the insight into should should you or should you not wear glasses yeah absolutely so I mean I had I had this little cousin I, I was quite young at the time I, I was only 10 myself and my little cousin was a bit would have been, would have been about five and yeah she she saw my eye and you know she she was just really scared of it you know I mean, it was like that scene from Doctor Who where she sort of ran behind the sofa and she started to scream and and everybody went to comfort her you know my mum was there my uncle was there my aunt was there and I remember that kind of no one came to me and and the thing that I I had to decide was to wear these glasses and and also kind of accept that I hadn't actually done anything wrong you know I was just being myself and and mm. often we we tell people to be comfortable in their own skin that's one of the messages that I hear so often but so few people are able to put that into practice because we are visually dominant and we use our sense of sight more than any other and mm. therefore, we know that people gather so much information. They make judgments purely based on how you look. And uh, I remember reading this 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 beautiful article. It was about Instagram, and it was about this mother whose whose daughter basically was saying she wasn't very happy with how she looked, and her daughter was only sort of six or seven years old. And uh, and so her, her mother was saying, "Well, you know, you just have to be comfortable in your own skin." And her daughter very eloquently said, well, when was the last time you posted a, a picture on Instagram, which she didn't use filters on? <laughs> and, uh, True story in so many instances, I think. So that was it. And so, yeah, I, I, I know I, I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong yet. I know I felt awful for just being myself. And that, that yeah. took quite a while to sort of deal with. I'm sure. So let's talk about mental blindness, because we've spoken about the, you know, the physical aspect, but um, mental blindness, you've got some key pieces of advice around farsight and nearsight and insight 
that you share with people. And I'm keen for you to explore those a little. Yeah, so I suppose I, I use, you know, blindness has also become a, a metaphor to a certain degree for, for knowledge. And, and, and I suppose we just have to think about the things that we can't see. So generally, we can't see things which are far away. You know, that's why they invented the telescope. And, and so our ability to sort of see far into the distance or see into the future is something we always try to do. You know, when people ask you that question, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years, they're, they're asking you to think of, you know, a future self and, and what that might look like. And that's a real, real challenge for, for all of us, because most of us uh, are very poor at predicting the future. And in fact, if you all thought 10 years back and said, are you where are you now where you thought you were going to be? For most people, that would be would be a no. And so I really wanted people to kind of be able to embrace that it's something we're just not ever going to be brilliant at. It doesn't stop us from planning. And you know, obviously we always need to try and plan or you know where we want to go. But life rarely kind of goes in these these linear lines, <laughs> you know, so you have the, you make these great plans, don't you? I'm, I know in, in 2019, so I played my last game for England in 2019. And, and so 2020 for me was going to be my first year of full-time speaking. That was, that was my plan. And, uh, and then something called the pandemic came along. <laughs> you know, in fact, I was, I was due to come out to South Africa uh, in that April to come to the conference out there and, and speak, etc. And the pandemic came. And for a lot of people, my, my business basically was non-existent during that time. Everything got cancelled. And so there, there is always something around the corner which is unexpected. And what we need to be able to is to, is, is to prepare for the unexpected. And that now this is over, there will be another crisis around the corner and that there always will be. And I, and I think what I learned from the pandemic myself was that in those first few months, I kind of did nothing. I was just thinking, oh, I just I hope, I hope we go back to normal soon. You know, let's, let's sit this out and wait till things go back to normal. Except for that took an awful lot longer than I was expecting. <laughs> and so those people that were able to be adaptable and flexible and agile were able to just to kind of adjust and I think we all need that skill set regardless of what the future looks like and one of the other things I, I talk about is is hindsight as well so hindsight is our, our ability to understand uh, events that have happened and we're generally very selective in our memories in terms of how we interpret past events <laughs> I noticed from from some of the tournaments I've played at so one of the things that happens when, you know, when you win is because you plan to win and you prepare to win, if results go as you expect, then you kind of just kind of gloss over it. Said, well, you know, well, that's obviously what, you know, I got what I was expecting. And so you don't actually do an awful lot of uh, analysis of, of, of the wins in your life. Yeah. It's when you lose that you basically pick things to shreds. But actually what we sometimes fail to do is really... We sometimes go, well, I, I knew that was going to happen. We, we, we start to reinterpret the past yeah. <clears throat> based on whatever makes us feel more comfortable. Uh, <laughs> we, we had a tournament in, in 2015 where we, you know, we played really, really well and we got to the final, we got to the semi-final and we, we, we lost on penalties and we had this mass review afterwards and there was this massive 
division between staff and players and you know they were saying you know well we we'd spent too much time with friends and family and some people were saying well the warm-up wasn't great and and it's amazing but you can never really you know you can never really prove afterwards so when we do research when scientists do research you know you can test going forward so you can basically look at all the variables going into an event and that's the only way you can prove that the connection between one event and and the outcome but when you're trying to do it in reverse it's an awful lot harder to do that and it, it takes an awful lot more speculation so that's one of the other things i look at and then i think the other thing which is probably alluding more to what you do in terms of winning at life and work is oversight is looking at the big picture uh, and i think for a lot of us it's the recognition that to be successful in one area of your life it may impact other areas of your life and i know when i was competing that it had a massive impact on the rest of my life in terms of my relationships and other interests that i had and i think when people do the wheel of life exercise for example you can do something something that's quite as simple as that you can do a wheel of life exercise and you can say that you know not not every area of your life is going to be 10 out of 10 simultaneously and you can either do for me one of two things you can either basically accept being average in in all areas simultaneously um or you can focus on different areas consecutively so okay well i've i've, I've achieved in this area of life maybe i'm going to go and work on another area of my life and see I could, if I can get that to be where I want it to be. And I suppose that's a personal choice for, for all of you in terms of whether you're happy, kind of just being average in, in lots and lots of areas or whether you decide that you're going to, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and see how good you can be in one particular area. But absolutely, that's the, that's the big picture for me is, is understanding that it's inevitably going to have an impact on, on other areas of your life. Because when you're training, in my case, twice a day, six days a week, <laughs> there are going to be, there are going to be consequences to that. In, in <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's really important to note. And with everything, there will be, there will be consequences. If you pick a lane to be exceptional at, and you make that commitment, you can't bring your A game to every part of your life every single day. And having the emotional maturity and awareness uh, to deal with that is important. And of course, uh, the maturity in your relationships with people who are important to you is vital because, as you said, they are going to be impacted on by some of these decisions that you make. So in a way, uh, certainly if you've got permanent long-term relationships in your life, sometimes you need to get buy-in from those people too, that they're going to support you on that journey. Uh, and what is the upside for them? Yeah. Um, so having that big picture as you say is so important there was um there was a an olympian so i i, I did years ago i did some work with um with an organization we were doing a lot of work in schools a lot of personal development programs and, and she'd just come back from beijing and she'd won gold in beijing and one of the things she's and i remember sitting opposite her and thinking god you know you're a bit miserable you've just you're olympic champion and you seem a bit down about life so we started having a chat and um and she says you know you spend your whole life trying to get to the top of everest only to discover that the only way is down um <laughs> <laughs> so so i call that popped elastic band syndrome you know when we reach the pinnacle of a goal that we've been working at for a long time whether it's in business or whether as you say it's you know 
getting a, a medal in the Olympics or even just participating in the Olympics or climbing Everest, when you come off that high, it's a terrible feeling actually because your drive has gone. You've put so much into it, that direction, that drive, that energy. You've had a coach, you've had a nutritionist, you've had a psychologist, you've had an audience, haven't you? And suddenly it's all gone. And that's something I think we need to be very, very awake to. Athletes are pretty good at allowing themselves recovery time, but you almost have to replace that goal with another one fairly soon. It doesn't have to be climbing Everest again, but it has to be another goal. Otherwise, there's that feeling of emptiness and lack of purpose, I guess, would be the word. Yeah, I think for me, it's also about enjoying the journey. And because you, you know you could climb the top of Everest and get there and there's cloud cover and you don't actually get to even enjoy the view. And so often people pursue a particular path in life and then they get there and they go, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. This isn't what I really wanted. And so for me, what I've always enjoyed and one of the reasons what that kept me motivated to train and still does, you know, because I still train, you know, pretty much every day is is just loving the journey itself of actually I call it solving the you know the performance puzzle where I'm literally kind of thinking okay you know what is it that I need to do differently today to 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 improve or you know what made the difference to you know when I look back at our women have just won the European Championships and you know people will be writing chapter and verse as the reasons why and they'll be <laughs> and they'll be <laughs> All these different elements, you know, the new coach, you know, the investment from the Football Association, all these different factors, training programs, and you're trying to sort of work out what made a difference. And that's the bit I love, you know, when I train, I, I look at all my heart rate data and I'm, and I'm trying to sort of unpick it all and think, hmm, what if I tweak this? What if I tweak that? So that just that general enjoyment, I think, of, of, everything that goes into trying to get to where you get to otherwise you know you know when you're off to the the safari park and you're only looking forward to getting to the safari park but you're not actually enjoying the journey there then you might get there and be a little disappointed yes I was actually just thinking along those lines that you know some sometimes we think it would be so nice to go overseas mm. and have an overseas holiday and then you've got your bucket list of all the things that you want to go and see while you're there and you're in such a rush to get them done that you actually don't even enjoy the journey because yeah. you don't actually have time to stop and smell the roses. Absolutely. And this reminds me of what you're talking about here is that you need to enjoy the exploration of the possibilities and solving that, that puzzle. And for me, there's a word that I think is so important to associate with success. And the word is satisfaction. Because if you're just checking a box and then after this box, there'll be another box to tick. Are you really enjoying the journey? Because as you said, you can go to Everest and not reach the top. You can go to the Olympics and not get your medal after four years of hard training. The best you enjoy the ride. Absolutely. And, and I think it's really good for our, our kind of mental health. You know, I, know I speak a lot to, to young people these days about there's this sort of desire for, for instant success. And, and I, I might relate that to going to a, to a skate park. So when, when we were kids, uh, you know, we had to 
basically make everything. You know, we had to make our own skate park or we used to have these BMX bikes and we used to go and find bits of wood and we'd find these old crates of milk and you'd be sort of building up this 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 skate park in essence to do all your jumps on your bike. And now they kind of go to this sort of ready-made place where it's all kind of done for them. So they just turn up, they do their thing, and then they kind of go and they go, oh, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? But for us, there was the actual enjoyment in, in making it, in putting it together. It had a much longer build-up until the point of, and so that even if, you know, the jumps didn't come off as perfectly as you wanted, you know, it wasn't the end of the world, you can, you know, and also you could adapt it and change it to how you wanted it. You know, there was that creativity that was involved in it as well. And I think mm. I just want, yeah, that absolutely that whole thing about enjoying the journey, I think is, is massively important for all of us because that is life in itself. Life is the journey and, you know, it ends when we're dead and we want to make the most of our time when we're here. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to draw this interview to a close, but I think what struck me most, Darren, is that, what you've just highlighted now is don't just go for the performance. Enjoy the process of getting to where you want to go. Life does not unfold in a straight line, not for you, not for me, not for anybody. And we need to explore the possibilities on the way. We need to solve that performance puzzle and experience that sense of satisfaction. And also you've mentioned trusting all of our senses. We are not just about one sense. We are a conglomeration of so many different senses and we can bring all of those in to play. And I love the metaphor that you talk about uh, with, with vision and seeing of farsight and hindsight and nearsight and oversight, the big picture. And it's just a beautiful metaphor for life and as you said, we also need to think about our future self. Uh, you mentioned a question, are you where you thought you would be? And that's an interesting question that perhaps we can leave our listeners with because life doesn't always unfold in a straight line and we do need to prepare for the unexpected. And that question that you posed, do you want to be average in all areas of your life or do you want to pick a lane and do you want to commit and to become exceptional at something. And those are really thought-provoking questions that have struck me in this conversation. So you are black, you are blind, you are a badass footballer, and you do amazing work in helping people and teams and organizations to shift their perception about life and themselves. And I just love that one-liner that the eyes are useless when the mind is blind. Do you have any closing comments for our audience, Darren? <laughs> Just, uh, you know, life is, uh, we've got one chance at it and, and I want everyone to enjoy the journey as, as much as we can, you know, for all the challenges that, we, that, that are in the world and there will always be challenges. Um, but I truly believe that, that you know, with the right mindset that your challenges can unleash rather than limit your potential. So wish them all the best. I love that. Thank you again, Darren. You certainly have been an absolute example of finding a parking place and a purpose for your anger, your pain, your frustration. 
And you can connect with Darren on social media or at darrenharrisgb.com. To our listeners, I would love to hear your takeaways from this podcast with our inspiring guest today. Drop your comments in the chat below or email me at info at nickybush.com. And of course, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.